Thank you so much for joining Misyata Deshmaya. Let's jump into our Limud for tonight, trying to get into the depth of Parshas Ekev. Of course, much like Parshas Veschanan, Ekev is similarly packed with so many foundational ideas and psukim and different nakudas. Parshas Devarim, Sefer Devarim, one of the Rebbe said, I can't remember who right now, said that Sefer Devarim is the most important Musar Sefer. Because so much of the essence of what Yiddishkeit is and what a Kaddish Baruch's dream of Am Yisrael going into the nation, getting it right, you know, the first time or later in subsequent times, it's all packed into this parsha, and it's a little bit of a chaval that, um, you know, that these parshas fall out in Ben Azmanim in the summer when nobody's really in that frame of mind to really learn these, uh, you know, these, these parshas intently. And maybe that's, maybe that's, you know, the, the, the element that needs to be resolved and that would solve everything if we just shifted you know Bein Hazmanim to the winter and, uh, and people were really learning Parshas Eschanim Parshas Ekev all these Parshas who knows but it's very very powerful very powerful Parsha okay so let's jump into two teachings primarily we're going to focus on the second teaching I'm just going to share my screen here um Primarily, we're gonna we're gonna take a look at the second teaching from the Magid of Mizrich, Schusa Yagen But let's start with a smaller teaching from the from the Naim el a very very beautiful teaching as well. And so, of course, the beginning of the parsha starts while Yekev to Shmaun Vasisem. Hakadosh Baruch Hu says that when it will be that you will remember that you will keep Yekev Tishmon that you will listen to all of my decrees and all of my mitzvahs and the Helega Torah and the Torah lifestyle. So then all of the brachas, all the blessings are coming upon Am Yisrael. That is the beginning of the parasha, it will be when you will listen. Ekev means when. Of course, all the darshanim, all the tzaddikim say that Ekev is referring to the end of time. Ekev Tishma'an is referring to the end, the ikvis of the Meshicha. And I have tires on that. Maybe at the end, if we have some time, I'll tell you something sweet, a nice remez. But the Heli Gnaim the Melech says, Ekev hu remez la'anashim ke'ele, she'ein lahem, skiva the oyoimar is a mistake, it should be in the beginning. But she'ein lahem seichelu bina lahasig dulas haboyre. Because again, on a simple level, the word Ekev means vaya Ekev tishman, and it will be when you listen. That's what Ekev means. But the Gnaim the Melech also takes that word Ekev to connote something lowly. Ekev is the heel of a person. It's correlating and connoting a certain element of lowliness. And says the Naam Malach that this is not necessarily referring to an entire generation. That's the interpretation referred to in the Tzadikim when they say that Ekev means Ikvisa the Mashiach, the generational era before the coming of Mashiach. But he says it refers to an individual that does not have, or individuals that do not have Seichel Ubina Lahasigidulas Habayre, that find it very difficult to attain some sort of perception of this abstract idea of a God, of this abstract idea of a creator of the universe that wants a relationship with us. Nobody saw him, nobody heard him, he didn't speak overtly to any of us. Some people find that very difficult, very abstract. And so they find it impossible to connect themselves in the deepest way to serve HaKadosh Baruch Hu in a way of truth, in a way of completion, because they find it very difficult to connect and to relate to an idea that's completely abstract, that's completely beyond their realm of experience. But he says, in the connection of these kinds of individuals, the individuals of Akeb, the individuals of this aspect of the heel, who find it difficult. The heel is the, the numbest part of the body, right? A person steps on a needle, if it doesn't really go all the way in, sometimes, you know, you can have a splinter, but it's, the heel is unfeeling. And so you have individuals who are on this level who find it difficult to feel, find it difficult to connect to Yiddishkeit as Yiddishkeit. And about Hashem, it's too abstract. It's too removed from their experience. They need not an intermediary, but they need a reflector to be able to bring all of those ideas down into the living presence so that they can encounter it, on a, it or in a way that's more germane to their own natural experience. See, he says when they connect themselves with Anshay Tzedek the Emes, and when they find themselves drawn to and aligning themselves in, in terms of affiliation with good people, with Anshay Emes Tzedek, with people that have committed their lives to truth and to straightforwardness and uprightness, and Emes in a world of Sheker, 
These people do understand and they have learned and they have been mamik and whatever area of Torah is going to enable them to encounter HaKadosh Baruch Hu in a very, very deep way, they have gotten to that place. And they're serving HaKadosh Baruch Hu on a very high level. Azai says the Noam Elimelech, then, an unbelievable line. In Breslov, obviously, this is talked about a lot. Hiskashros to tzaddikim and chasidus bechlal, the importance of connecting oneself to tzaddikim, to holy people. And of course, this doesn't mean to say, and we've spoken about this many, many times in the name of balance and the name of health. This doesn't mean to say that a person can simply shirk the responsibility from upon their own table and upon their own shoulders and their own obligation with regard to Tarn Mitzvah and say, no, I'm connected to Tzadikim, they're covering me. Of course, it doesn't mean that. Nobody intended that. That's a distortion of what Hasidus intended. On the contrary, these Tzadikim were meant to be role models we're meant to model what it can mean to be able to live a life of dvekas, to be able to live a life where a person is rooted in this world, walking with both feet and head, mamish, in this world, but at the same time to be beyond, to be able to look at the same thing that everybody else sees and to see something different when we look at a human being, when we look at food, when we look at the Indian of sleep, when we look at the Indian of marriage, when we look at you know, the nakud the, the, the of spending time with children, of education, and so on and so forth. It's the same world and we're here when we're very much rooted in this place. That's why the tzaddik, like we always speak about from the Zohar Kaddish, the tzaddik is called kichol bashamayim uva'aretz. The word kol is a key word for the Midah of Yisod, that's associated to the Tzadik, as the Pasik says, with Tzadik Yisod Olam. Kichol is Bashamayim Uva'ar. It says the Zohar Kaddish, what's a Tzadik? Man da'achid shmaya va'ara. The Tzadik is the one who is able to bind heaven and earth. He is the Midah wherein heaven and earth kiss in the sense that he's able to manifest and to express and to articulate by virtue of his very being without saying a word what life could look like when it's illuminated with the Torah. What life can look like when it's lived in the mode of Shivisi Hashem Lenadi Samet of Uboi Sidbak of Chol Jarechecha Da'ehu to literally live in a way of Ein Od Malvado. It's the same human life, but it's elevated to the highest levels in an unparalleled way. That's the tzaddik. The tzaddik, therefore, is supposed to inspire those that come into the presence of a charismatic individual in the sense of spiritual elevation. And that's supposed to give them a fire so that they can go home and they can try this at home, right? And they can go and replicate that, that they can go and begin a little bit, a little bit by having seen the tzaddik, even b'chitzonius, even by imitating this avoiders, but a little bit it goes in. The chiddush of the Noam Melech is that it goes into such a degree that our avoda then is actually considered on the level of the tzaddikim in and of themselves. I once heard a beautiful, beautiful muscle for this. I wrote it a little bit differently in the book, The Story of Our Lives, but it's also very beautiful. You know that in former good days, two, three, four hundred years ago, probably three to four hundred years ago, before people had clocks or watches, pocket watches, personal clocks, I think that it was probably very expensive or it wasn't a common item that people have on their wrists. It wasn't something that people had. Or rather, the watches that people did have, if they had watches, were very, very uh, not exact, right? And they weren't engineered properly to be able to run perfectly all the time. Each town would have a clock tower, right? It's even true now. There are still some relics of the past historical sites where you can have, you know, a clock tower, Big Ben, right? Every town, every shtetl had the shtetl clock. It was held up in a high place. And everyone would come to check the time. And those chevra that had watches, that were lucky enough to have these watches that weren't engineered properly, they would go maybe once a day, twice a day, once a week, I don't know exactly how often, and they would tune their, you know, they would turn their watch, and they would set their watch to the watchtower. And the Rebbe that I was learning from said that this is what a tzaddik is. That tzaddik is not going to go ahead and to replace your need to have an own, your own watch, right? Your own avoida. But the tzaddik means to say that sometimes when our perceptions become skewed, when the world overwhelms us with regard to what's right and what's wrong, what's moral, what's not moral, what's ethical, what's not ethical, and so on and so forth. Drawing close to a true tzaddik that's living life in dveikas. And it doesn't just mean a Talmud Chacham who knows a lot. It means a person that's living in dveikas, an oivid. These two things are not exactly the same necessarily. Oftentimes they are, but they don't necessarily correlate like we speak about so often. There's tzaddik 
and there's lamdin. These two things need to merge. The balance between them is very important. But the ikr is to be able to see it sad. Like a person that's living in a way that's elevated. We're able to, we're able to go ahead and to set our watches by that clock. The way that I put it, just because I'm more musically oriented than engineering oriented, in the book is that this is the, you know, the pitch perfect tuned guitar that all of us need to carry our guitars and tune our guitar to this guitar. That's what the tzaddik is. Says the Noam Elimelech again, when a person does this and a person connects to tzaddikim, an amazing thing, it's considered as if we are connected and as if we are on that level just by virtue of our connection, by virtue of our respect for this tzaddik, by virtue essentially of us saying, this is what I want to be. If I had my way, this is how I would live. I have a thousand reasons that I can't. Some valid, some not valid, but I'm a human being and I struggle. But this is meaning when you stop me in the street and you say, Bari Sahara, if I would take that away from you, what way would you want to live? And I say, I want to live in Vegas. I want to live in a way that every single moment of my life I'm actualizing the reason for this that I came into this world. By virtue of the unexpressed ratzon that is implied within this interest in drawing close to holy tzaddikim because that's essentially what we're saying when a person gives money and a person makes sacrifices to travel to kivri tzaddikim to travel to tzaddikim that are still alive in this generation essentially what we're saying is this is something that I value says the Noam Lamelech this is a very very high level in and of itself is a very high level and he says this is pshat on the pasuk ekev tishmu'un es hamishpatim ha'eleh like we said before, what does the word ekev mean, of course, on the pshat level? It means vaya ekev, tishmun, it will be when you will listen. Says the Holy Naim al-Malach, ekev doesn't just mean when, it could also mean ekev, referring to these people that find it very difficult, which certainly is, is referring to myself, can't speak for all of us, but it's, it's a common experience in this generation that we feel unfeeling, paradoxically, that's the only thing we feel, is that we don't feel. So he says, When they will listen, when people on this level will open their ears to listen, and they will bind themselves to the tzaddikim who do live on this level. Says the Pasuk, says the will be considered for those people doesn't absolve your obligation from fulfilling exactly your obligation whatever that is each person on their level to go ahead and to do the best that they can Hashem only asks us to do the best that we possibly can and to try but it will be considered as if as if you did it Unbelievable. And this he says is a beautiful understanding of the Pasuk in Tehillim. David HaMelech cries out to the Master of the world. On a simple level, let's translate it simply. My soul is to you, HaKadosh Baruch Hu. More than those that yearn or wait for mourning. That's how deeply I wait for mourning. What's mourning? Mourning is a hint to geula, either personally or collectively, to illumination, to warmth, to brightness, to clarity. But says the Noam al very deep. He says, Nafshi l'Hashem, mishoymrim l'aboyker. Rutzaloymar, kishani bedabig atzmi l'Hashem, machmas, oisam, ha'anoshem atzadikam, ha'shoymrim umitzapim l'aboyker. When my Avodah Hashem is predicated on this, that I am connected to those that are Shoymer Mlabaika, that they do wait for mourning, that they are connected to a vision of what the world could be, of what education could be, of what parents and children could be, of what friendships could be, what communities could be, what the world could be. Those that are really waiting for the mourning, guess what happens, says the Naomi Lamelech. Look at the next two words. Shoymer Mlabaika. Rotsalem Ragama Noichin that's the explanation of this Pasuk. When Nafshi Lashem, when my Yiddishkeit is founded upon a connection to those who are Mishoimrim Laboiker, those that are connected to such a deep level of yearning, you know what happens to me? Shoimrim Laboiker. We also become considered in the category of those that are Shoimrim Laboiker. 
Rabbi Nachman has a very beautiful lesson. I think it's Reish Ayin Tes, if I'm not mistaken, 279, but I have to double check that. I'm actually supposed to send that shir to one of the chavra on the call. Where the tzaddik says that when a person eats food, what happens to the food? All of the nutrients are extracted by the different processes and the enzymes and the different things that go on in the body and the digestive system to extract all of those things that are helpful to the body. The waste gets pushed out. Omafli lasois, ashriyatsa is a real thing to stop for a second and it should blow our mind. You come out of the, out of the restroom, it should blow your mind. I mean, it's, it's an open miracle that we just experienced, let's be honest. An open miracle. And we have to regain some of that excitement, that passion, that wonder, that gratitude. That's what, that's what Allah is for. That we should live a life that's bursting with meaning. That's the whole point of it. That's the princess. But this nakuda of the nutrients breaking down or the enzymes breaking down the food to extract the nutrients, they become part and parcel of us. They become part of us. They physically become, you know, they say you are what you eat. And it's true on a very, very deep level. Meaning to say that it's not just what we eat, but it's how we eat. That's a separate conversation. But in terms of the food that we eat, that actually becomes part and parcel of our physiological makeup. And so the most amazing thing is that Rabbi Nachman says it's the same thing when you draw close to tzaddikim, that tzaddik eats you, kiviyachal. Mamash eats you. Brings a pasuk. The brings a pasuk to back this up, but he says essentially what's happening is the same thing as the digestive process. You get close to it, tzaddik, nafshi l'ashem, mishoymer m'laboyker, you know what happens? Shoymer m'laboyker. You're nehepach to the mahus of that tzaddik. You become a part of that. Says Rabbi Nachman, again, it's a little bit outside the context of this, but it's very similar, of course, because these two things are correlated in a very deep way. We've spoken about this in the past. It's the same thing with Eretz Yisrael. It's the same thing with our holy land. This land is called the Eretz Ocheles Yoshveha. Of course, that was the Miraglim saying Lashon Hara about the land, vis-a-vis what they saw with their eyes that was actually a gift, but they weren't able to appreciate it as such, that everyone was burying their dead, that a Kaddish Baruch Hu had designed it for that. So it's all about perspective. We spoke about that in Parashat Shlach. But says Rabbi Nachman, if it's recorded in the Torah, there's got to be some truth to that. What might this mean? That Eretz Yisrael is a land that consumes its inhabitants, says Rabbi Nachman, exactly in this way. A person lives in this land. I bless us all. For those of us that are able to live here, we should really appreciate and connect and breathe deeply when we walk outside. Every step is, uh, is Gan Eden Mamish. What a privilege. 2,000 years, our Zaydas and our Babas are crying that we should make it here. And Hine, like we're here. It's an amazing thing. And for those of us who aren't privileged to be able to make it Bekarov Mamish, Mamish Bekarov, it should really be a real thing. I was speaking to uh, a sibling last night and uh, my sibling was saying, you know, this is the long-term dream for, you know, his family. So that Mamish, the long-term dream is to be able to make it. Is Mamish to be able to make it here. And he's working toward it slowly but surely. If it means two years that he's able, two months out of the year that he's able to spend in over the next few years, but then slowly but surely, because the goal of a Jew and the goal of a Jew has always been to have a yearning. It doesn't have to do with Zionism or not Zionism, support the state. This is a holy land. This is Eretz Yisrael. And this that HaKadosh Baruch Hu made it so easy. Okay, there are complications, certainly. My whole family lives in America. It's not so easy. But in relation to the difficulties of previous generations, it's like a walk in the park. Certainly to visit. Okay, we won't talk about moving. It's complicated. But certainly to visit. It should, mamish, be our primary, primary objective. We have to be yearning for this land. We have to first know what it is, this land. Know what it means to take four steps in this land. Know what it means to breathe in the air. That's a vir der Yisrael machkin, to have a yearning to feel that. This is what it is to be a Jew. This is the Jewish experience. But this is a land that's ochelas yoshveha. If you're doing it right, and Rabbi Nachman says that it's all like everything, is totally in the rut zone, how much you want it. If you want it, this land will swallow you up in the most unbelievably positive way imaginable. You will become part and parcel of this land. It's the same thing here. Nafshi l'ashem mishoymim l'aboyker. If the entirety of my relationship with Hashem is based on the advice or based on the guidance or based on the modeling of those that are mishoymim l'aboyker, in no time at all, shoymim l'aboyker, we also become part and parcel of this Nakuda. So that's an amazing, amazing thing just to sum it up. 
is this is a big, big chizuk to understand what we've learned from other tzaddikim in the past, that the words yimin chapshuta l'kabal shavim, we're moving now into Elul, what a glorious time, Elul. I don't know if some of you had the opportunity to hear a little sample of the album I was going to be involved with, but thank you, Hashem. 12 beautiful songs and a pamphlet that's going to be Put into Mishpacha magazine, Bezer Hashem, as a little insert. I was to write that, uh, that that little booklet explaining the teachings and the messages behind each song. It's mamish a safer. It's a small little thing. It's thirty pages, but it's so deep. It's mamish deep. Every song is a message. It's a it's a love letter to Am Yisrael. It's really something very very powerful. So I can't wait for you to to hear it. But we're moving into Elul, and we say this pasuk: Yimin Shuta Lekabel Shavim. Hakadosh Baruch Hu, your right hand is stretched out to receive those that are Shavim, to receive those that are coming back. And the tzaddikim say, slipping my mind exactly who says this right now, but we learned this together. Maybe the Bas Ayin, I think the Bas Ayin maybe. But the tzaddikim say that you know what it means: Yimin Shuta. What is this right hand of God? God doesn't have a hand. What does it mean? What's it a reference to? And he says it's a reference to the tzaddikim. We're thanking HaKadosh Baruch Hu for giving us Sadiqim that were sent to be able to help us along this path back into HaKadosh Baruch Hu's embrace, along this path back to our deepest selves of who we are at our essence, return to what you are, return to who you are, to where you are born and reborn again. That's what Shuva is. It means to return to Hashem, and it means deeply to return to who we are at our root, at our core, that we lose, baderech, along the way. Siparti Maisha, that Rebbe Nachman tells his story of the lost princess. That's what we lose. Tshuva doesn't mean to turn. It means to return. It means to reclaim what we are at our essence. When we shift our focus in terms of how we educate, just for example, in terms of what the mitzvahs are supposed to be, the mitzvahs bring us closer to God. The mitzvahs are additive. They're supposed to go ahead and add on holiness in a way. That's one approach. But the approach of the Baal Shem HaKadosh is that the mitzvahs are simply supposed to move away the garments to reveal what we already have, what we already are. To reveal the chibur that we have with HaKadosh Baruch Hu, not necessarily to forge it. That the avonos are simply mavdilos beinolaveinchem. They get in the way. And every mitzvah that we do is slowly but surely removing the obstacles to reveal what is essentially there and essentially present always. And nothing can take away. It's a very powerful shift. And it has a lot of different manifestations and rep- or, not repercussions that has a negative connotation. But a lot of, or it splinters into many, 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 many different paradigm shifts across the board of what the mitzvahs are and so on and so forth. So that's a very, very powerful thing. Oh, thank you for telling me. Okay, it's okay. I'll download it from Facebook afterwards. Thank you so much. What am I speaking about now? Ah. Yeah. So the tzaddikim are sent to this world to help us return, to help us come back. What a gift. To appreciate that Hashem has sent us tzaddikim, primarily the tzaddikim of the Hasidic movement, right at the end of time that spoke so deeply to the challenges that we're experiencing more and more commonly, believe it or not. Their message is resoundingly more relevant as time goes on and as we deal with what we're dealing with emotionally. This experience of the akev, of the heel of unfeeling, that the tzaddikim give us advice to discover how to reignite that flame, that nerolokim nishmas adam, a dancing flame full of warmth and light and clarity of who we are at our essence, to embrace that, to learn the tzaddikim's words, which is what we're engaged with now, and to carry out the eitzes, whether it's a spodah, there's simple things, things that can really change things can change the way in which we relate to Yiddishkeit. It's the same Yiddishkeit, same 613 like we always say, but it's a different lens that changes everything. And so we should really tap into that resource. And we are, and Ashrenu, that we're among those that are taking advantage of this remedy that HaKadosh Baruch Hu sent long before the malady set in. So this is the first teaching for the Nam and the Malach, but primarily I want to focus on this incredible teaching from the Mizritra Maga. This is something, it's so amazingly deep. It's, it's mamish something very powerful. Says the Elegamazritra Magid, the spiritual um, inheritor of the Balsham Akadesh, and the primary expositor of the Balshamtu's teachings. The Tzaddik goes on this Pasuk, Ma Hashem Lekechashom, the famous Pasuk. What is it that God asks of you? Some total, bottom line. What does He want from us? Why did He create us? We didn't choose this. 
What does he want? Why did he send us here? Ma Hashem Elokecha Sho'el Mi'imach. What is this question that's perpetually asked of us, that's solidified within our experience of being a human being, that's resounding existentially all the time? Why are we here? Ki im liyira es Hashem Elokecha. Is simply, that's the words ki im, and the Gemara asks, of course, Mil Sazutra say it's a small thing to fear God. In, like Abi Moshe, has his understanding of that that actually ties back into the first teaching. What does it literally mean? Let's go into that Gemara for a second. It's a tangent. It's tangential. It's a tangent. But the Gemara says, what is this terminology? Like all he wants of you is to become God-fearing. Like that. We spend our whole lives trying to attain Yerushalayim. What does this mean? As if it's something small. Says the Gemara, it's a small thing, Yerushalayim. And the Gemara answers, in, yes. It was Moshe Rabbeinu that was speaking. He was processing through it through his experience. And so to Moshe, he was able to say, Ki im. That's the simple understanding. Says the Vashem HaKadosh, again, relating to what we just learned from the Naram Lamelech, he says, you know what it means, it doesn't mean in relation to Moshe Rabbeinu or when processed by Moshe, it means if we are going to connect ourselves to tzaddikim, if we're going to put ourselves in close proximity, practically, intellectually, emotionally, with the tzaddikim, it's going to be a lot easier to attain Yerushalayim. So that's a sweet teaching from, from the Baal Shem HaKadosh. But this is what the Pasik says to fear God. Again, we have to reframe some of what that terminology means, fear we have to understand that when the tzaddikim spoke about fear, the Zohar Kaddish tells us, is yira, is yira. Of course, there's the yira of malchus, the sphere of malchus that's below. There's the, there's the, there's the yira of gevura. There's the yira of bina, bina ilah. There's a very high level of yira that's called yira saromus. It's a very, very lofty level of, of, of awe. It's not even fear. It's, it's just being overcome with the awareness of presence. It's like standing in front of Niagara Falls. We don't fear Niagara Falls. We're not afraid of it, per se. We don't perceive ourselves to be in danger, but we're overcome by the experience of it. It's, that's, that's awe. And that's ultimately what we're trying to attain. And what I believe we should start to speak to our children more in terms of awe, radical amazement, than, uh, than fear, which has a very negative, debilitating um, connotation. But beyond that, I, I think it's not so attuned to the nature of our souls that I believe are very, very, very ready to move into that level of Yerushalayim as awe, a higher level. But says the Magadim is rich. Yuvan Aderach Mashal, he says, I want to give you a Mashal. What does this mean? Ma Hashem lo kecha shalom imach. What Hashem asks of you, ki im liyira es Hashem lo kecha, to fear, to fear Hashem your God. What does that mean? Ratzaloimar, he says, liyira es Hashem lo kecha. What does this mean? To fear Hashem your God, perish. Shehaya hayira shalcha. Listen to this deep thing. It's mamish, incredibly deep. That your fear of God or your awe of God, your Yiras Shamayim, which parenthetically is called Yiras Shamayim, not simply because we fear heaven, that's a, you know, a, 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 term, a terminology for Hashem, but because literally the first time that anything had Yira was the heavens, Yiras Shamayim. That a Kaddish Baruch who said Yirakia and it hardened. So I want to say for once that that's not what it means. Yiras Shemaim. We should have the same fear of the heavens that God said something they didn't budge. That's another interpretation of Yiras Shemaim. Okay, parenthetically, but he says like this. You know what it means that you should fear Hashem? He says, Pirish Shihiya Hayira Shalcha. Your fear, your awe, should be Kemoy Hayira Shel Hashem Lekecha. Kiim Liyira. You should be afraid of transgressing the word of God in the same way that God is afraid of you transgressing the word of God. You have Yerushalayim, he has Yerush Basar Adam. Whoa, what does that mean? Like, what does that mean? We have Yerushalayim, HaKadosh Baruch Hu is fearsome, HaKadosh Baruch Hu is awesome, HaKadosh Baruch Hu is infinite. We should fear or we should approach Yira in the same way that Hashem approaches Yira. What might that mean? Kaloimar. Listen to this. Ki Yira stam adam Yira She says, classically speaking, on a very simple level, and we need to develop our spiritual consciousness all the time. And it's very, very important because most people walk around as adults, fully functioning adults, with the perception of Yiddishkeit that they had in grade school. It's just facts. And Rabbi Yaakov Kamenetsky, like I bring in the book, once gave a mushal, an incredible thing. He says when a boy turns up Sharon, so right, by the Hasidim, they give an up Sharon at three years old and the boy gets his tzitzis, right? 
they're small, they're tiny to fit a little two, three-year-old body. But as the boy grows, he needs to progressively buy bigger pairs of tzitzis or else he's going to ultimately feel choked by those tzitzis that were nice when he was three, but now he's expanded a little bit. He's, he's grown past them. He's grown out of them. But most people walk around with the same Yiddishkeit from, from pre-1A. If they're lucky, fourth grade, fifth grade, sixth grade, but it doesn't progress beyond that, even though their halachic knowledge progresses beyond that. But their theological clarity does not progress. And it's not their fault. It's just when are they given time to work out those things? When are they encouraged to delve deeply into this area of our tradition called agada, or called panemius, or called chasidus, called musr, psychologically speaking, the way of revolva and so on and so forth. There's depth, there's omek in Torah. We're not given that. We're given the pragmatic details within which there's tremendous depth as well. And the goal, of course, is to bring these two things into synthesis. Sadik v'lamdin, like I always say, two things can be true at once. We don't need to negate or sacrifice one because of our affinity for the other. On the contrary, we should be bursting with passion for both. And to realize that they're one and the same. And that you can't have one without the other and live as a healthy, uh, functioning Jew on the highest level. But most people, he says, walk around with what's called yiras ha'onesh. Fear of being punished. Why do you keep Shabbos? I'm afraid. I'm afraid to turn on a light. What are you afraid of? Gehenna, this world, the next world, retribution, divine retribution, hell. Yiras ha'onesh. He's very strong here. Rabbi Nachman is a little bit less strong. We spoke about this in our Sichas Ran Shirim in the context of Sicha Hei. He says it's nothing. Rabbi Nachman has a little bit of a different take on this, but be that as it may. He says it's not, that's not what we should be striving for. He says, you know what HaKadosh Baruch Hu is afraid of when he looks down, so to speak, and sees within the context of our Bechira, because he knows everything already in the way of Yedia, which we spoke about as well as, uh, you know, in previous uh, sessions and in the context of the book and the Course, certainly. When he sees that a person's about to sin, that's called Yiras A person is afraid, Baruch Hu is afraid that the person is going to act May Roiv Racha Menusaya love because the Kaddish Baruch Hu has so much mercy for us. That a Kaddish Baruch Hu is literally like a father to a, a child in a literal sense. Mamish. Not just in some, you know, there's some parallel or in some associative sense. A Kaddish Baruch Hu is our father, like we're father. No, literally. And in the same way, we would never dream of hurting our children in any way, shape, or form. In the same way that we would never dream of punishing for the sake of punishing. I mean, you literally apply that to the way in which we view HaKadosh Baruch Hu. It is literally the same. It's not just similar. The reason why HaKadosh Baruch Hu gives us the gift of parenthood, and I bless all of us that we should be zochah to the gift of parenthood. That's the greatest gift of living. It would be worth coming down to the world for one second to be able to spend with your children. And Talmidim Arehim Kebanim, it's the same thing. Shibzechet to children and Talmidim. But if we hear this incredible thing, is that we get this experience of what it must be like, of, of how HaKadosh Baruch Hu must look at us, and how much He must love us. So He says, this is what it is that HaKadosh Baruch Hu is afraid of us taking a misstep. Nobody wants that their child should have to suffer by making improper choices, by getting themselves into short-term, long-term trouble. Nobody wants that on any level. Or a father is always worried. No father wants that their child should be sick. He says, this is exactly how it is that a Kurdish Baruch Hu loves us so much that he's afraid of us taking a step that's going to bring us into a negative experience. Not because of what that's going to bring upon us in the way of the cleansing process called Gehenna that many people are still thinking is retribution like God is some sort of, you know, mashkiach with a stick. It's the opposite of what it is. It's a gift. It's a cleansing process. But beyond that, in terms of what the chait is in and of itself, like the Nefeshachayim says that Gehenim is the sum total of all of our pleasure that we get when we're in an, in, engaged in sin. That's what Gehenim is. He says after we're finished, right, all of that pleasure that the body felt, but that the soul was screaming out in excruciating pain, echoes up, and that becomes our hell. Something to think about. It's a very, very scary idea. But that's that what Amish says in Parakyud Aleph. Same thing is for mitzvahs, of course. That's what our Ganeidin is. 
And Hasidus wants that we should experience that in the mitzvah itself, in the way of schar mitzvah, mitzvah. When you put on tefillin, you should taste the ganidin for the mitzvah and say, like Rabbi Nachman says in Torah, hey, in the beginning of the Kutumran, I don't need any schar olam haba. This is it. This is it. This is the deepest time to be bound to HaKadosh Baruch That's what tefillin is. To be bound for the ladies that are lighting Shabbos neiris, for the ladies that are keeping any other halachas, the brachas that we make, davening, and so on and so forth. That's the deepest pleasure. If we could give that message over to our kids, I mean, that's the deepest. Mamash the deepest. That's the schar and the mitzvah in and of itself. So to go ahead and to take a misstep, to engage in an act that's going to hold us back from that kind of dveikas, from that kind of osher. And even if we don't feel it consciously in the moment, but it's an osher in terms of what our life is. Of what it means to be able to live a Torah-oriented life in a world gone crazy, gone awry. To be able to live with the family structure and to be able to give on true principles that are rooted in tiferes, rooted in the balance between the religious, the overtly religious areas of life and the apparently secular or chal areas of life to be able to integrate the two. There's nothing like that. There's no meaning and there's no mode of living a life that's bursting with, with fulfillment like this life. And the depth in terms of what we're a part of, not just individuals, we're part of a 2,000 year, 5,000 year old story. And we're gonna be the ones that are taking it to the end. It's happening in front of our eyes. It's happening through our eyes. It's happening in this session, in our learning together, it's happening. So this is what HaKadosh Baruch Hu's fear is. V'zashikas of ma Hashem kecha shoyel mi'imach. What does HaKadosh Baruch Hu want? Sheteheh yira shalcha gamkein miyiras chet. HaKadosh Baruch Hu wants that our yira, that our fear should be like his fear. Kamo yiras Hashem alekecha shu shavaloi. Sheteheh shavaloi, it should matter to us. Not simply because we're afraid of getting hit, but because we appreciate what it means a mitzvah, what kind of opportunity that is, because we appreciate what it is to go ahead and to transgress, what a chait is from the word lo yachti, to misstep, to step off the path of who we really are, to lose touch with our essential holiness. We should care about that. In and of itself, that's the year that a Kaddish Baruch Hu asks of us. V'nam shal mashal and he says, I want to give you a beautiful, beautiful, gorgeous mashal for this. Av, he says, there was a father, that he shouldn't walk barefoot. And it's such a pella, I'm saying, the Magad is like 230, 240 years ago. And it's like the same, you know, in his mind, he had an image of a little boy walking barefoot. He was also a human being, and he also lived in this world, and we're not so distant, you know. So he says, a father sees that his, his son is walking around barefoot, and he tells him, I don't, I don't want you to walk barefoot, I want you to put on some form of shoes. It could be you're going to step and a thorn is going to go into your foot. The child didn't listen. He didn't put on his shoes and he kept on playing outside. Because he didn't understand the uh, implications of what he was doing. And he walked barefoot. And guess what happened? He stepped on a thorn. It went into his foot. And it went deep enough to hurt. Right? Not like what we said before. Into the unfeeling heel. It went in. So he says, He didn't have so much pain from this. But the father was worried because he understood that right now it's just a splinter in there. But if he'll go like this, who knows what kind of, who knows what kind of uh, uh, infection it could cause. Who knows, it, could, it can go deeper and cause a whole lot more pain than it's currently causing. So what did the father do? He took some sort of tool, some sort of knife, some sort of tweezers or scissors, and he, and he cut open the skin a little bit. Around where that thorn was, or around where that splinter was, that was the only way that he was going to be able to extract the thorn from his, from his, his, his toddler's foot. Says the Magid, analyze this. When he took out the thorn, I mean, 
unbelievable amount of screaming, an unbelievable amount of pain that the toddler experienced specifically when the father was taking the thorn out. But the father understood that this is for his best interest. And this is exactly how it is with all the pain that we go through and all the challenge that we go through personally, nationally, collectively, globally. It's all that doesn't negate our own feeling and our own human experience of mourning and, and, and the pain that we go through. And we have to hold space for that, of course. Akadosh Baruch wants us to be human beings, not robots. But by the same token, this is what we believe. And then after that period, you don't mourn more than seven days. And you go ahead and you say, seven days, you move on. We have to move on. It's built into our nature to move on. To believe that this is all part of a positive process. So the father understands it. And he didn't listen because he understood this is for his best. Let him scream. Let him cry. And we screamed. Why aren't you helping me? Why aren't my tefillahs being answered? And mamish, if it's in the way of this muscle, sometimes it's not. And that's why we do have to daven because sometimes Hashem just wants our tefillah. But oftentimes the Kodesh Baruch Hu is saying, trust me, I know better. I know better. So the father takes the thorn out. But the next time, the next day he wants to run outside also barefoot. And the father, Mamish, gets upset with him. And he, you know, he, he, he like starts to exaggerate a little bit. You don't remember how much pain and how much it hurt you yesterday when I had to take that thorn out of your leg? And he warns him, don't go back out and don't necessitate that we should go through that again. How much it hurt you when I pulled the thorn out of your foot? Because you're going to go through pain and it's going to hurt a lot when I have to pull this thing out of your foot again. So he says a genius thing. Mamash a brilliant thing. Now why doesn't the father say, don't go outside again barefoot. You remember what happened yesterday. You got a thorn in your foot. You don't want a thorn to go into your foot again. But he doesn't say that. Because he says about the thorn going into the foot, the kid doesn't care because yesterday also, that wasn't the painful part. The father understands that that was the more dangerous part. But from the son's perspective, that's not going to prevent him from going barefoot again. Why should, why should he not go barefoot again? That, that, that didn't hurt. The main pain that he had, it was when the thorn was being pulled out of his foot, that's when it hurt. This is why the father chooses to warn the kid, not by what happened, that's of actual consequence, but in terms of the pain that the child went through when the father healed the child and pulled the thorn out of his foot. And even though the father's primary concern is this, that the thorn's going to go in and cause an infection that's going to cause a whole lot more problems than simply, you know, performing a, a small little incision to pull, the, to pull the thorn out that's going to heal in a week. Again, this is not what he chooses to warn the child with. Because again, he doesn't want the child to go ahead and to walk barefoot. That's the ikr. That's the ikr. But the truth is ha'av in la'yira, let's bring yira back into the picture, the primary fear of the father and daiga, the primary worry and concern was, mehasar, was not mehasaras ha'koyitz, ain la'yira v'daiga mehasaras ha'koyitz, ki adarava, that didn't bother the father as much as it pained him that his son was in pain, but on the, on the level of what was necessary, that was, that was his refuah. Ki adarava, yodeyahu, sheze refuah hulai, nimsa ki yiras ha'av ha'ben, this is so deep, because primarily, when we move back into the nimshal, he'll say it in a minute, but let's just speak about it outside for a second. Primarily, the ikr fear, the ikr prevent, or, you know, preventative measure that's going to prevent a Jew from going ahead and transgressing is the fear of what's referred to in the mushal as the removal of the thorn. 
which we said before, Gehenim is a cleansing process, and it's not eternal, and, it's, and so on and so forth. It's a process to be able to wipe off the dust that's completely and entirely external to who we are at our core to enable us to sit by the king's table and to have, like the Brahmach says in Tarmadivar and other places, to, to be able to obtain and to attain schar and reward for every tiny mitzvah that we did, but it's not about schar. Like we always say, the tzaddikim don't speak about olam haba, they speak about olam hazeh. They speak about ashrech haba olam hazeh. It's not about that. But that's what, that's what we're afraid of. And that's what the tzaddikim and the musasfarim and the Torah Kedosha warns us against. Because that's the thing that's going to shake us up. But you know what's far more concerning than this that we're going to have to undergo an experience of cleansing? What's far more concerning is the danger of engaging in the thing itself that we're going to need to be cleansed from. But we don't perceive it as such. HaKadosh Baruch Hu does because he knows what we're missing out on. That's the greatest Gehenna. And that's missing out on a life of dveikus, and a life of elevation, and a life of arla goyim, and a life of being able to stand up with holy confidence. Ah, we could change the world. Each and every one of us could change the world, and we will. And we belittle ourselves, and we sell ourselves short when we involve ourselves in lowly things that are way below us, way below us. But we don't feel it. And so HaKadosh Baruch Hu says, you better be careful. All of the toichacha and everything that's, that we say in Shema, all of that. That's all hasaras hakoitz. That's the removal. That's the healing. HaKadosh Baruch was not, not afraid of that. He's not happy that we have to go through pain. That's the system that he set up. It's ultimately for our good. He's not happy about it. That's Midas Hadin. He's not happy about it. But that's not essentially what his yira is. His yira is about the thorn going into our foot in the first place. It's very, very deep. And he says, we can all understand the nimshal. He says, the yira of a person classically is from the punishment. We don't naturally feel the yira of the chet in and of itself. The master of the world, you know what his year is? Yare, whom it's Baruch Hu is fearful. And Akadosh Baruch Hu is mitzta'er, he's pain. Pen yechta adam, forget about hell, forget about Gehenim, forget about cleansing, whatever it is. Akadosh Baruch Hu fears this that a Jew should misstep, that a Jew should sell him or herself short with regard to who they are and what they can be and what life could be, what relationships could be. It could be shining with health, with balance, with meaning. With everything good, there's no life of balance, of normalcy, of goodness, of truth, of clarity, of yashras, of holiness. There's no life like this. There never was, there never will be. We have to be proud of what we have. We have to appreciate what we have. We have to be grateful for what we have. But we have to open our hearts to experiencing this kind of consciousness changes everything with regard to how we engage in Yiddishkeit. It's not in the way of Eved. It's not in the way of Ben. It's not even in the way of Lamana Chai Vereyai, of a friendship. It's a way of, of Anila Doidi Vedoidi Li. It's a marriage. It's an intimacy. There's no passion like this. There's no, there's no excitement like this. There's no spirit of engagement like this. It's the princess that we lose, B'li Sheila. And it's natural that we lose this along the journey, but let's try to devote our lives to reclaiming that to doing tshuva in the most essential sense of returning to ourselves like Rabbi Nachman promised. Shekol Misha Yeshoyma, whoever heard the story of the lost princess, he made a promise. Hayolai hira tshuva. There was a thought of repentance. The, the story moves you. I had written the book. I had worked on the course. And I had given the course a number of times and in the process reread the book, reread the story, reread the book. But there's a, a wonderful woman by the name of Fagi Bloomstein, who's part of the Thank You Hashem Chevra. She also teaches for Olami. And she started teaching the book, The Story of Our Lives, on the platform of, the, of, the, uh, of, of Thank You Hashem Instagram. It's like tens of thousands of, of followers. There are a couple of thousand people that are follow along, following along with those shiir and Baruch Hashem to, to, to great reception. And I tuned into the first one, you know, just to be able to experience that. I was very proud of it and excited about it. 
and basically the whole first thing was just her telling the story, just reading the story. And I thought to myself, like, it's a little bit of a waste. I mean, I know the story a little bit. Maybe I should just skip to the middle of it. But I, I couldn't pull away. I know the story in my sleep. You could wake me up at 3 o'clock in the morning and tell me to rattle it off backwards and forwards. If there's one thing I know, it's the, story, <laughs> it's the story of the lost princess. I couldn't pull away. And I, and I was crying. I was mamish crying. I was mamish moved to tears by listening to the story. All the complexities aside, all the depth and the omek and the brilliance, all of that aside, just the story of the Chomisha Yashami. Heart has to be open to it. Chomisha Hayashayim This is what Hashem sent Sadiqim to the world to do to take us by the hand, to bring us close to Him. This is the princess that we're trying to reclaim. Yiddishkeit is not a checklist. The things that we have to do and the things that we're afraid not to do and the things that we are so thrilled to do even though we hate doing them because of the schar that we're going to get one day. Gullus. This is all a gullus mentality. We must move on. We must move on. Yiddishkeit is in a new phase now. The souls that are coming down to this generation are of a different nature than previous generations. It's the same Torah. Every generational era has new giluyim that are outfitted to those specific souls. If we continue to shove the Torah of exile into the hearts of children who are begging on the most subconscious level for more, we are abusing them. We're depriving them. And it's not going to be healthy. It's not going to be pretty. And it's not really working out, if we're honest with ourselves. not really working out. In rare cases, it's working out. Across the board, we, we're, we're suffering. Our suffering is still a thousand degrees better off than anybody else in the world. And we're shining from one end of the world to the other, but we're suffering. And we could do better, and we're doing better. Things are getting better all the time. Things are mamish getting better all the time. The momentum behind the Baal Shem HaKadosh's vision that Mashiach told him, when am I coming? When your teachings spread outward. doesn't mean that the whole world should become Hasidish. Peyes, Shrimals, and Bekeshas, maybe decidedly not that. Exhibit A. Decidedly not that. To be who you are, where you are, your affiliation. But it's an internal revolution that takes place, that shifts the way in which you approach all of those things that you already knew. And it casts them in a different light, in the light of the ensuing redemption. And it's filled with optimism. And it's filled with excitement, and it's filled with closeness, and passion, and love, and vitality, vibrancy, inwardness, depth, honesty, sincerity, authenticity. And this is what we're trying to do in the world, all of us together, this chevra. Chevra that are connected to this kind of teaching. And it takes courage, it takes a lot of courage, because there are a whole lot of chevra out there that aren't not exactly on this wavelength. And that's okay. It's a slow process. I'd be very, very patient. It's a slow process. But it takes a lot of courage to stand up and to say, Chevra, we need something different. We need something different that's not, that's Bechlal not different. It's not introducing something new. It's a return to what we've always had and have lost naturally along the process of our exile. But now, HaKadosh Baruch Hu is bringing us home. He's bringing us home to Eretz Yisrael. And what mirrors that physical return to the land of Eretz Yisrael, like I describe in the book as well, is the return to the Torah's Eretz Yisrael, to the Eretz Yisrael of Torah, to the place of Kodesh HaKadashim, to that realm of Sod, to that realm of Pneumius, to that realm of Nishmasa de Oraisa, to the why that pervades the how, the when, the where, the what, to the why, to the core, to the Neshama, to the premise of what it is that we're doing here. Our children want to know why they're here, why. And we throw at them what and when and how and in what way. We need all of that. That's the six sons. We need that. But the why, the tachlis, the purpose, the broad picture, that's what our Neshamas are yearning for. And so we need to shift out of this kind of era that's associated with mochim de katnas, with a small-mindedness, that the Magadim is rich earlier says, ain't a klum. And on a good day, we should have a year like that. That's what Ibn Ahmed says. On a good day, we should have a year like that. But we can do, we can do more. And we, we can begin to enter into an experience of Yiddishkeit where we start to look at sin differently, at mitzvahs differently. We can begin to reframe all of those do's and don'ts in terms of opportunities of closeness and intimacy and further and further uh, further connection 
to our best friend in the world, to our source, to our spouse, to our beloved, to the one who cares more about us than anybody else and knows everything about us, to the one that we can be honest, to transparent with, fully, 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 changes the game. And it's not about, I have to schlep myself out of bed to go to davening and it's so hard and it's so difficult. Jump out of bed. What a privilege. It's a new morning. I get to daven. I get to daven. It would have been worth coming down to, to this world a thousand years just to daven one Shemona Esrei. Like Rav Cook says, to appreciate every step along the way. Ki'ilu, this is it. And that's what my father said also, the Chiddush. That's maybe why Am Yisrael had to die and be brought back to life. Every word that left HaKadosh Baruch Hu's mouth on our Sinai. Why? It's because to show us that it's worth living and dying just for one word of Torah. And the implication, of course, being that Yiddishkeit, which is one of the principles, is not all or nothing. Every mitzvah, every tefillah, every word of Torah that we're zochah to learn, it's bursting with the ultimate life because all we have is the moment and it's a dimayon that one day we'll get there. It's a dimyon. It'll never happen. It's a shift in terms of being able to appreciate every step along the way. Every step sharing in the light of that ultimate goal. So he says that's what this ultimate Indian is. Ki adarava. He says, I'll go back to the beginning. Ki adam humia Classically, a person fears the punishment. But we don't live in this moichin, the godless, this expanded consciousness to be able to open up to this kind of perception of Yiddishkeit being something that's so sweet that I fear the act, not the punishment, but I fear the act in terms of what that does to my relationship with the master of the world that's more precious to me and more essential to me in terms of my identity than any other factor, my job, my family, my marriage, anything. This is it. This is at the core of who I am and the, and the reason for which I came to this world. whose fear is just the sin. This is his healing. This is his mercy. Like we said, Gehenna is a cleansing process, another paradigm shift. What does Baruch Hu want from you in the sense of transforming your own natural perception of what fear should be? What does He want? What does He want differently from your natural perception? That your Yira should be aligned with his yira. Memele, you should be fearing the same thing. Ki im liyira es Hashem alokecha. To fear that fear that God himself has. And this is very, very deep. Very deep. Because like all teachings of Hasidus, it's not just a vart, it's a nice thing you say, the Torah you say over by a Shabbat Shabbat It's not that. Because each and every teaching is a doorway into the essential revelation of Hasidus that sits at the core that's a theological revelation that changes everything. And every single teaching is just another facet of the diamond that brings you in. It's a doorway that brings you into this roiling essence where all of these ideas are wrapped up together into the three loves of the Baal Shem Tov, the love of other Jews, the love of Hashem, and the love of the Torah with a deep love that's, that's, that's uh, it's, it's, it's almost unbearable. It's almost unbearable. Rabbi Nassim has a lush, and we said this in the past, and we're coming for a landing now. Rabbi Nassim says, in the, in, in, and we've spoken about this, that they're yearning when they stood there when Rabbi Nachman was revealing for eight hours Torah like a Malach Elohim. You walked out of there like you walked out of the Idra Rabbah. Mamish like fire, fire, angels, Malachim, revelations, Giluyim. Giluyim. He says their yearning for God was so deep. He says that we, we, tr- we were climbing the walls out of our era. Imagine. I mean, they, they didn't know what to do with themselves. And we can feel that. Do you know what kind of tahara, what kind of purification that is? When we allow ourselves to feel that, to enter into a conscious relationship with God, including the sacrifices that that entails, including all of that, that which is involved in a relationship, and our heart is bursting with passion, with yearning, with desire, cleans us out. Rabbi Nachman, the Torah Kufnunvav, the Radichvarav, also in, 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 I think it's Parshat Vayikra, the Indian of whatever comes into fire, and becomes impure through fire, needs to become purified through fire. That's talking about the lave. This is what we need to return to. And this is what these kinds of teachings allow us to access. And so I bless us that we should be zocha 
to grow close to tzaddikim. Both the tzaddikim, Kedoshim Meshavah Aretz Hema, those tzaddikim that have already passed away, whose teachings, within whose teachings, they live on. And the tzaddikim that are still around. Tzaddikim. Not necessarily for some and famous people. People that are able to give you a taste of this. A taste of what the Norman Lamech describes here. Of closeness with God. People whom after coming into contact with them, we feel bigger. We feel more elevated. HaKadosh Baruch Hu should help us that we should engage in a healthy way with the teachings of the tzaddikim to be able to shift ourselves from a gullus-oriented, individualistic perspective to klalius, to a much deeper idea of, of the shechina and of what a Jew is and of what our mission is and of what the Torah is and what halacha is and so on and so forth to prepare us for the ensuing uh, redemption, the car of mamish b'mehir b'yaminu. Amen amen. So thank you so, so much to all for joining. It means a great deal to me every time that I have the privilege of learning with Jews, especially in the middle of the summer. It's probably so hard, you know, in the middle of the day over here, it's night already. But, you know, in the middle of the day for so many of you to take an hour off and to spend it with me, it's really, it really means a great deal to me and I appreciate it very deeply. So thank you to all that joined. And um, Ezra Hashem, looking forward to a wonderful, beautiful Shabbos and I wish you the same. And, uh, okay, Ezra Hashem, we'll see you Tuesday night. Siyat Rishmaya. Okay, thank you so, so much for joining. Thank you, Binyamin. Thank you so, so much, y'all. To all the Chevra. Mamish, thank you for joining. Have a wonderful Shabbos.